Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Post-Political Podcast. I'm the host, uh, Derek Britton, and I am uh, very excited for the guest tonight. Uh, we're talking to Brianna Coyle, and uh, we have a bunch of different things we're going to get into, uh, kind of some uh, surface-level uh, philosophy stuff, but really just uh, talk about messaging and how we can um, really get to a, a good spot with the Libertarian Party. I'm uh, really pumped for that. I hope you enjoyed the episodes uh, earlier this week and last week. We were talking uh, to a lot of the folks in Boston about the uh, Methadone Mile um, uh, issues that are going on uh, basically with that. And I hope you go back and check that out if you missed any of those. They were really great episodes. Um, first up, uh, we got to do the ads. So let me hit those. We have the Vermin Supreme Institute. Our purpose is to inspire social evolution through the disruption of authoritarianism, to promote compassion and activism, and to spread the knowledge of redacted history. Through the use of humor, direct action, and mutual aid, we uplift the disaffected, the disenfranchised, and the disempowered. And very happy to announce the Love in Action fundraiser went well. Uh, we raised the money that we were looking for, uh, and we have uh, all of the uh, stuff has been shipped now to Reno, Nevada. I believe it's gotten there, and we've got the confirmation, and we are just waiting to uh, distribute that. I think this week, depending on the weather, um, we'll see. I'll hopefully have an update for you all next week. And next up, we have uh, Brewed Coffee. So if you're in Lexington, Kentucky, check out Brewed Coffee and Beer Drinkery. Um, I'll have an affiliate link that I'll drop in the comments. You can buy mug shirts, hats, and masks, and bags, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, you get, um, if you use my link, the you help out the podcast a little bit and uh, do some cool stuff. And lastly, we have the, let's see if it'll come up. There we go. The uh, Be Gay Do Crime um, uh, kind of promotion that we're doing with the Trans Resource Network of Louisiana. Uh, so if you want, you can either uh, snap a shot of the uh, PayPal uh, code here, go to paypal.me slash T-R-N-O-L-A, uh, or you can go to uh, my shop in the postpoliticalpodcast.com slash shop, and you can find uh, any one of those three items. If you buy any of those items, 100% of the proceeds go to uh, the Trans Resource Network of Louisiana, uh, and they help out uh, trans and gender nonconforming folks in New Orleans. So that's a great uh, mutual aid program, and I really hope uh, folks can help us out and donate. So our guest tonight, Brianna Coyle, an activist, a leader in the libertarian movement. Um, she's an outreach director for the Outreach Libertarians, state coordinator for both the Radical Caucus and the Youth Caucus within the Libertarian Party uh, in New York. Um, and it, we're going to talk about, like I said, uh, so libertarian centrism uh, a little bit, uh, some coalitions and how we can do better messaging uh, on the left, uh, and then misconceptions of the Libertarian Party and how we can kind of overcome some of those things. So let's bring Brianna in. How's it going? Hello. It's going good. How are you doing? Good, good. It's uh, been a little bit of a crazy week, uh, but we've uh, we've been doing good. We've uh, been just actually getting the uh, our baby uh, Kennedy she's been sleeping uh, eight hours a night so that's been uh, pretty nice uh, we've gotten a little bit more sleep now so uh, good. yeah yeah really good but no it's it's everything's been doing well and um, you know doing some work on a, a few different campaigns and and helping out with uh, obviously the VSI group uh, we're now actually I didn't even say it during the thing we are now on the VSI uh, uh, website so if you go to uh, vermin supreme institute.com slash podcast the uh, post-political podcast is there. So nice. yeah, so it's, it's really good. How are you? Uh, what have you been up to? Oh man, so much. So I don't know where, where do you want me to begin? Let's start with that. Yeah. So I, I know uh, you've done a lot with 
um, you know, some some campaign stuff as well. Let's let's talk a little bit about the campaigns you worked on, and even you can go into you know some of the uh, state coordinating stuff that you've done uh, for the Radical Caucus and and um, the Youth Caucus. I'd love to hear about oh, that. Sure. So my my if I wanted to sum up 2020, I would say that my life was Tom Queter 24 seven basically. Yep. For those who don't know Tom, he was an amazing candidate running for state senate in New York, and Every day was pretty much an adventure. I was his comms director, but I was also his administrative assistant, gopher, um, <laughs> a chef's assistant, et cetera, et cetera. And getting out into the field and actually meeting people in the community and talking to like different types of folks, especially in upstate New York, it's very diverse. You could have, you could see one street full of houses and you'll see Biden, Trump, 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 Biden, Trump, 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 Biden. And it was just so different for me because I'm from New York City. Yep. And I really had to come out of my shell a lot and learn different like social networking skills when when it came to working on that campaign. And so anyways, now now I'm on um, Stacey Pressman's campaign. She's running for mayor of New York City. So I'm quite excited about that. And Really, New York City is my stomping grounds, so I do feel a lot more in my natural elements yep. related to New York City campaign. But um, even though I've been living upstate New York, so it, it, it's been weird. It's been fun. But um, yeah, uh, campaign stuff has been indeed wild. It's definitely a wild experience for anybody, libertarian or not. Yeah. And, yeah. But did you lose me? Oh, there we go. There we go. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that happened um, into like the state coordination stuff. So I'm the state coordinator for the Radical and Youth Caucus in New York. Um, these are both rather recent roles, and it's been difficult to to grow them, especially especially in New York, when you have so many people that hear the word libertarian, they scream and they run away. Yeah, but I'm pretty I'm pretty psyched about working with these different uh, groups. Because as a lot of people know, I'm very like I'm pro caucus. I'm not anti caucus. While caucuses can have can cause a lot of division and turmoil, I think that they're great outreach tools. I think that they're great um, to bring people into the party yeah. and to give people in the party, you know, a space with other like-minded people. So with the youth caucus, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be trying to reach out to some existing college libertarian groups and try to get them more active within the party itself, okay. as well as help establish more college libertarian groups. Um, I'd eventually like to work on high school as well, but right now college is definitely taking priority because it's just easier to start a college club. A lot of high schools don't even have clubs these days. Yeah. Um, and with the Radical Caucus, of course, I'm not going to recruit Lipsocks to the Radical Caucus. So it's definitely a bit more difficult to recruit people who are willing to accept the entire Radical Caucus platform because yeah. that's what it means to be radical. But I've still been finding people. I've still been getting people involved, um, both locally and on the state level. And it's been it's been good. It's been nice, like talking to a lot of people who weren't involved, saying, "Hey, I want to get involved," or "How do I do this?" and just pointing them in the right direction. And then having people come back to me weeks or months later, giving me updates. Yeah. on what they've been doing like with their local uh, affiliate and it's great i love it so much it makes me like it makes me feel like i'm actually doing something even though it's something like so minuscule it makes me feel happy you know 
No, and that's huge. I, I think, you know, the, the outreach that needs to be done to help bring folks in and, and make them feel kind of a, the way I've heard uh, Desiree Lindsay actually describe it is a soft place to land, you know, a place where you, if you go on, you know, Facebook and go to any of the libertarian groups, depending on which groups you go to, it can be toxic. It can be, yeah, it can be really hard as a new, Sorry. even just like hearing the terms lip sock and calm, you know, uh, uh, and cap all these different little, se- you know, different groups and segments and stuff. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, I know for myself, when I came in, I was overwhelmed. I was just like, I don't know what to do here. I don't, I don't know what these terms mean. I don't know where I fit in. And, you know, I eventually kind of found my way, but if there was someone reaching out, you know, at the state level and was able to say, Hey, you know, I think from listening to and talking to you a little bit that you kind of fit in here, or you might like some of these folks that I know here, I'm going to introduce like, that is just a huge first step in, in something that's going to be so much more successful than just having someone go in, find a Facebook group, and then just say, I can't do this. I, I'm going to go back to the duopoly or to an independent or whatever, you know what I mean, wherever they came from. Yeah, and, and that's what happens. And one thing that sets apart the LP from the duopoly is that we demand so much ideological purity that, and the problem with demanding ideological purity is that even libertarians can't decide what it means to be a libertarian right so then we have that and then we have a bunch of new folks who genuinely don't know what a libertarian is or what it means to be a libertarian or any libertarian stances and then we got um the these trump and QAnon supporters calling themselves libertarians and just nobody knows what a libertarian is and it drives <laughs> me nuts that if the libertarians don't the democrats and republicans definitely don't absolutely and i think it's it's interesting because i think there is a rigid uh, and I think there's good to have a rigid set of values. Policies to have to adhere a hundred percent to uh, make for a very small tent, if you will. Uh, you, it's just very hard to find folks that are going to agree with a hundred percent of, you know, 20, 30 different policies. And I feel like we're, you know, we've, we've gone back and forth about being good about that and, and kind of not good about that. But I, I feel like you, what you're saying is something I really wanted to hit on, actually, this the, during this conversation is we demand so much out of a libertarian. And, and by we, I mean, the collect, like every single, and it's funny, we don't believe in collectives, but we, we're collect, you know what I mean? We, we, we fall into this and, and there's tons of misnomers about not falling into collectives or being part of a collective or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, is the fact that you don't see that in the Democrat Republican, like they're not fighting people for saying you're not a true Democrat. They might say you're not as progressive as I'd like you to be, but they're not saying you're not a true Democrat. They're just saying I don't follow the same you know level that you fall into when you're voting for someone like a Joe Biden or you know uh, um, or or someone like that versus a AOC or a Bernie or something. You know in even I think there's more, uh, you know, uh, nuance than that in the libertarian party. We just don't, uh, kind of allow for that. You kind of get mob mentality and folks just chasing people out because they say I'm a libertarian hundred percent, except I believe in universal basic income. And they're like, Nope, you're not a libertarian. Get the hell out of here. Basically it's like when it comes to Democrats and Republicans, they already have so much of a big tent that they don't have to have those little squabbles. We're still going through growing pains and libertarians are so desperate to cling onto um, a set ideology when there's multiple different libertarian ideologies to begin with. The party itself 
was founded by people who had different ideas and ideologies, hence the Dallas Accord, hence minarchists, uh, classical liberals, and anarchists coming together and forming the party to begin with. Right. So acting like there's this only one true libertarianism is wrong because there's lots of different types of libertarianism. And it's okay to disagree with a certain particular school of thought to yep. say, Hey, I don't, I, I don't agree with um this because yada yada yada, right? But to say like when people say, well, libertarian socialism is an oxymoron, like no, no, it's not. You can right. say that you don't believe in it, you think it's wrong, you think this system is superior, whatever you want to think. But then saying that it doesn't exist, it's just it's a baffling argument to me. It's not a right. real coherent argument in my opinion. Yeah, and I feel like folks get like really hung up on a lot of these things, and it, it forces folks out of something that they it could be such a welcoming. I mean, I I truly do think we have the most compassionate platform of any party existing, including you know, and I really do like uh, uh, Green Party folks and a lot of folks I've met in the Dem Sox groups and stuff. I, I love those folks, but at the end of the day, I still think libertarian, and this is why I'm in uh, uh, the Libertarian Party, is because I feel like it is the most compassionate party in you know uh, our our established system, I guess. And I feel like we could be that that um, kind of big tent without compromising those values that we do have. Uh, and that's what, you know, everyone hears Big Ten, and I, I immediately had this knee-jerk reaction. You know, I'd see uh, someone saying, uh, oh, well, we should have this, you know, Big Ten policy and just welcome in folks that agree with us on a couple of different – well, there also has to be some boundaries where we can't let in a ton of toxic, horrible people because they want to get rid of taxes. I mean, it, there's there's got to be some sort of line we draw yes – but we can be uh, flexible in how we message and bring people in without being flexible on our morals and our, our values. Exactly. And that's why I'm not too much of a fan of the 80-20 rule, simply because the 20% matters. Right. What that 20% is matters. It's it's really a shame that we treat people who believe in UBI worse than we treat people who come in and say that, oh, Mexicans aren't people. It's like, well, we, we have the disagreement, but we should still welcome them into the party. But then you got somebody who's like, yeah, m maybe we shouldn't get rid of Social Security. And then all of a sudden they got a thousand guns pointed at their head, metaphorically, of course. Yeah, no, and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, it, it's you you can't allow folks that that want to trample all over someone else's rights in, in you know, without uh, – you need to talk to those folks and understand – a, where those come from. And I, I don't believe in completely dismissing someone uh, as a person, but maybe as uh, someone that you want to work with as a party. I do. And Ashley Shade, I know we both are, are very good friends with Ashley. She has uh, kind of this saying as well. I will talk to you if you are coming at me uh, in a very negative way and don't think that I uh, should exist as a person. I will come out and, and talk with you and I will have those conversations. I will not work with you. I will not work on goals, you know, and that's, that's where I kind of draw the line is I am willing to, to talk to folks that might have some really awful views, just to try and understand where those come from. And there's some folks that just cannot be saved. They just, they're stuck in that way and have been uh, really hateful. And, and I don't want to personally bring my, my, uh, uh, 
good happiness, I guess, uh, down uh, by by associating or, or talking with those people too long. But if there's someone that I think has just had a wrong, you know, a bad experience or something that has really turned their ways, I think we could pull, you know, some of those folks out. But there's got to be a point where it's it's where you'll work with someone, where you'll kind of talk with someone and maybe understand uh, what they're doing. And I think that messaging gets lost when people try and say, uh, oh, we shouldn't just write people off for anything in particular, but we should uh, we should when it comes to working with them to to try and progress the liberty movement or whatever. Yeah, because at the end of the day, when you have um, bigots coming into the party, they don't have the same goals as us. They might on a few issues, but right. ultimately, if you're trying to suppress um, the liberty of others, then I'm I don't know. I just I don't understand the argument for that. And right. like I've spoken to legitimate neo-Nazis and white supremacists trying to understand them because I almost dated one. I knew the person before I knew the person's ideology. Right. So I genuinely wanted to understand or save him, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't happen. Yeah. I tried and it was gut wrenching, but it didn't happen. And one other thing when it comes to the LP is we do have a compassionate ideology, but we have a lot of messengers that are more focused on rugged individualism and this brutalist narrative instead of a more welcoming atmosphere, basically. And there's a lot of reasons for that because the Libertarian Party has always like had lots of like nerds, so to speak, right? Yep. There's also there's also been lots of like academic types. And that's one core reason why libertarians are so focused on economics and research and all of these things that don't necessarily speak to the average person. Right. Most average like most voters don't even know like about half of these policies and stuff that libertarians argue about daily they might have a few issues that they care about they might even be a single issue voter and that's really what it comes down to and we shouldn't turn people away for not subscribing to the whole platform right. but my beef is when we have people in leadership who don't subscribe to the platform and are espousing anti-libertarian views. That's my problem. If right. you're just a libertarian registered voter and you don't agree with everything, what do I care? But if you're a messenger for the party and you're in a position of leadership where people on the outside of the party are looking at you as an example of a libertarian, then I'm going to hold that person to a higher standard of accountability. That's just yep. how I am personally. And I think that's something that does get lost throughout too, when, when trying to message to voters. So I want every voter that is a libertarian for 90% of it and, and still wants Medicare for all to still vote libertarian at the end of the day, I want them to vote for the candidates that we're trying to, and, 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 I don't want to dupe them. I want them to be happy with what we're doing because we might not believe in the 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 full uh, context of Medicare for all, but we do believe in making healthcare affordable to people, and we have different ways. So if we bring them in with criminal justice issues or uh, immigration issues or something like that, we then can show them, you know, there are other ways that we can do things with IP laws. We can do things with uh, certificate of need laws. We can do, th there's other ways that we can significantly reduce the cost of healthcare to folks. And we don't have to, you know, give up all of this uh, um, ability to, I guess, uh, uh, kind of make it uh, work with the markets with the Medicare for all. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't have to give up all of that. And, and I worry, you know, you see, uh, someone like, uh, say, a Donald Trump that comes in and says, we do not, you know, he, he 
said no uh, trans folks in the military. What if he said no uh, transition surgeries? And that was a policy that was put because the, the healthcare system gets paid for by those uh, checks from the government that are our tax money. They have the power to do things like that. And that just scares the hell out of me. I have exactly. a lot of people I care about. I don't want to see be hurt by that. Yeah, that's basically just that's a perfect example you can use to the left of the government having too much power. Because when it comes to Democrats, they always want to increase government because in their minds, what's wrong with government is it has the wrong people running it. And you can argue, yes, if you get kinder people, then it'll be good for a while. But then what happens when the tables get turned and then we have more Trumps that are running the government? And that's that's based, that just shows that the government has too much power. Right. It's not that necessarily like their ideas um, are bad in the moment all of the time, but it's just that it won't work out in the end result. Yeah, and, and you, you, see this, you see these swings every four, six, eight years, two, four, six, eight years, you know, that, that the House and the, the, the uh, Senate will go uh, uh, either blue or red. And, and I feel like the, you know, you see it in the executive power they've given the president year after year. They, you know, whenever there's a, a kind of a supermajority, they give the, the executive branch a little more power. And then the the other person goes into office, you know, whatever blue versus red, uh, and then you're you're shocked that they have all this power and they can do whatever the hell they want when you just gave them that power four years earlier. And I just I feel like that that you know gets it it's the cyclical uh, kind of increase of power that gets stuck uh, in their minds. And like you said, it's uh, if you know it's it's if we elect the right people, the right things will happen. Well. We should also, you know, focus on what our communities can do because there's a hell of a lot of great things that our communities can do that we might not be able to, we might not have to rely on the government if we, you know, if we build up these systems of mutual aid networks and, uh, you know, more direct action, those things can happen tomorrow instead of being stuck on the phone with unemployment or uh, social security or, or trying to, you know, if, if uh, someone's looking for some help, some short-term help, just to get them through the next couple of weeks. There's not a great government system for that. There's systems that will take those two weeks to get you any sort of help. And by then you could have lost your house. You could, have, you know, uh, you could be out of food that week. Mutual aid networks, local, you know, direct action things are so much more helpful. And it's, I feel like, you know, we get away from that so much because we just think of, Hey, we can fix the end goal. If we just throw a bunch of money at this and help uh, those people. And I, I don't have a problem with, attempting to do the right thing but i just i i want people to have the forethought to say well maybe we can do something a little better that's a little closer to home that we have a little bit more control over because we know what the folks need locally you know here in our area or whatever exactly and like voters at the end of the day voters don't get to decide what the government does the representatives decide that but as voters, as people in our communities, we do have the power to decide if we want to set up a mutual aid network, if we want to help people locally, right? You can you can vote and say you, you want to give more of your tax money to the government to be able to do these things. That doesn't mean that they're going to do it. Right. They're going to end up using that tax money to continue funding police brutality, wars overseas, or whatever they want to fund, basically. And especially when you have all of the partisanship and people just voting red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, that's all it is. The main issues that a lot of people have on both sides, for example, take the Republicans and wanting to ban abortion. They're never going to ban abortion because then how are they going to get voted in office? That's literally one of the issues that they need 
they need to always constantly create an enemy that they can point at right. when something is going wrong so they can get voted in next time around. And it's yeah. just an endless cycle of that. And that's what it means to be in a two-party system. Fixing the problems would be very uh, bad for either party. You know, fi fixing the problems that they harp on all the time would really take away. And I'm not saying that this is every low, like I've met a ton of great candidates from the Republican and Democrat party local level that, that I think probably are more libertarian than they think, uh, to be honest, but in, in general there, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the, in, I think you're doing the same. We're talking about the systems that are put in place in this big machine that keeps churning and throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars at candidates, uh, that are, are, you know, plucked and pushed to run, uh, for the system. Um, so yeah, I don't want to just, we have, we have a big audience. I just want to make sure that people aren't taking things personally. You know, we're talking about kind of the, the largest, uh, part of these, uh, the systems here, but it's true. I, I think that we, we have, uh, an issue here where we can, and I think this is where our messaging can improve. I think we've gotten to a point where, where people are very frustrated with the two party system it, more than they have been in the past. I think the issues that people are, are upset about align very well with the issues that we're fighting for as well. Some of them. And I feel like it's a good opportunity to at least introduce kind of libertarianism or, or just anti-authoritarianism. Even if, you know, these folks peeled off and went to uh, the green party, the DSA, uh, I would be happy. I, I just, I feel like we need to right the ship and, and, and I would love to see them come to the libertarian party and I think this is the prime moment to do so. And I, I feel like, you know, when we talked a little bit earlier uh, in the pre-show, we were talking about how do we, you know, we do a decent job in, in um, of, of pulling folks that are kind of disenfranchised from the Republican Party in the past. We need to do the same on the left. And we've just had such a hard time communicating that. And I think there's a ripe opportunity. I think we actually align better with a lot of the fr the friends that I have on the left. And I think there's a, you know, a lot of similarities there that we can talk about. So. Absolutely. And a lot of, a lot of people on the left are very anti-authoritarian in a lot of ways. Um, for example, Ilhan Omar's daughter, she posted her political compass results one time on Twitter and she was in the lib left. I was scrolling of people from with the from red rose twitter so that's basically like progressive uh, progressives and democratic socialists yep. they were all in the lib left all of them yeah. these are the same people who believe in things like medicare for all but on most of the issues they were more libertarian whereas i've seen people in the libertarian party take the same exact um quiz online and they're higher on the authoritarian scale but on the right and that's perfectly acceptable but right. they think that the other people are like raging communists and whatnot and it's just it's so dehumanizing but when it comes to libertarians trying to draw from the left we particularly struggle because of our history of being anti-left and being um basically having a fusion with um right-wing populism and a lot of um left libertarians they don't call themselves left libertarians like if they're outside of like the lp you'll never hear somebody call themselves a left libertarian so they might even just say anti-authoritarian but they'll never use the word libertarian because they feel like that word has been um captured by the american right in such a terrible way 
And that's why that's why we have people on TV saying that libertarians are terrorists because they don't know what a libertarian is. And then we got these people that are calling themselves libertarians. And then they're like, OK, so that, that must be a libertarian. Right. And there's so much confusion around that. When in reality, we do align a lot with the left and the progressive left on so many issues. Right. I like to say this. The moderate um, moderate Democrats or establishment Democrats, establishment Republicans, they're pretty similar. But then when you take progressive Democrats and Trump Republicans, they couldn't be more different. Yep. And I think a lot of people like forget that there's different factions in the two parties as well. Right. I don't know about the Republican Party anymore. They're not they're kind of just one big blob now. It's kind of either like you're for Trump or you're against Trump. That's basically what happened there. But the Democrats have a lot of internal infighting. It's oh, yeah. crazy. And after after looking at the primary with the whole field of candidates, they still ended up going with Joe Biden. Totally not suspicious at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's crazy to see. I mean, like you were saying, you know, a lot of the folks and I have friends that are on the left and a ton of them fall in the kind of the lib left you know, area. They And I feel like you, you hit on a really good point. They're talking about you know medicare for all and raising the minimum wage and, and doing things all they're trying to do is find the best policies that folks are speaking about that will help people that's what they care about they care about helping people and being compassionate to folks and if we were better at messaging to them and saying this is how you can do so without giving up all of your power to this government entity that is controlling more than you want them to control that is surveilling more than you want them to because just in in uh an effort to try and help these folks and in reality mismanage a bunch of the money that we're giving up you know that we've worked hard for and you know i don't want to disagree that you know getting the tax system under control is is a good step i just think it's not the most important step i think getting rid of uh dhs and ice is an important step i think police reform is a big step i you know what i mean i think those types of things are the things that i care about very deeply that i feel like are going to impact the folks that i care about and i feel like while we do that we can start putting in place these systems of mutual aid and things like that where it doesn't become a burden on the tax system and we can then relieve, you know, start start pulling out of the horrible place that we're in where we spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a day on war. Uh, we, you know, um, uh, similar, you know, we spend a ton of money on border protection and uh, policing. You know, if you look at any major city's police budget, it's tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. Take a look at New York City. It, I, I think the New York City police budget is more than like, a bunch of small countries. It's like their military budget. It's insane. Right. But um, I just wanted to touch on that for a second. I had a few friends on Twitter make some polls about libertarians, which did you get rid of first? And more people were saying um, welfare, not corporate welfare, but personal welfare, instead of abolishing ICE. Or they were saying they would rather get rid of food stamps than abolishing ICE. And it's just like, it's so it's so painful it's so distressing to watch because this is what people on the outside see right I've got so many anti-authoritarians that could be joining us and they're like oh no libertarians they're so selfish like why would they do that and then a lot of people the fatal flaw on the left it's not that they don't care about people that they want to steal your money and they want right. to rob your land like that the situation is 
that they're being realistic about, well, they think they're being realistic about what they can accomplish, right? right? Libertarians, they don't do that. You ask a libertarian, well, how is the free mar market going to solve this? They'll be like, well, the market will just solve it. Like, that's not really an answer to most people. If somebody's right. asking you, how are we going to stop climate change? Or how are we going to prevent this bad thing from happening or that bad thing from happening? And libertarians just say, the free market. That doesn't make them feel any better at all. It makes them feel worse. It makes them feel worse about libertarians. A hundred percent. We need to, to to remove the hand of the free market will fix this from everyone's lexicon. Like they that should not be no longer be an acceptable answer that people can give and, unless you have some. And believe me, I think that that's a real answer. I just think that there needs to be more uh, said there than just the free market will. There are many examples of of the market providing. You know, when when enough, I think the the biggest. You know, when when folks will say uh, things like uh, I, "I want a direct democracy" or "I want a bigger voice uh, in uh, the way that I'm being governed." Well, the way to do that is if you rely on you know things that are run in the market. Your dollar does that very effectively. Um, I and I, I I think we feel similarly on this. And I know I'm going to get some flack for this, but cancel culture, in my opinion, is the market free market. Uh, what are you going to say? You're the same same exact point. A lot of people, a lot of the same people who will talk about the free market solving issues are the same people that are complaining about cancel culture. Cancel culture is literally the market or the people saying we don't want this, or companies saying we don't want this type of person, this type of behavior in our in our company's environment. And then we have conservatives and right libertarians that are like railing against it when it's a perfect example of their own philosophy working. Right. And I think that it's something that, you know, yes, you don't want mob rule. You don't want the ability for uh, everyone to get a really bad idea in their heads and completely overthrow. There, there, there needs to be a corrective. Uh, and I think, in my opinion, the freer the the kind of the market you have, the the more ability you have to to have that uh, kind of um, counterbalance, I guess. Because people just in general don't all have the same idea. There's typically two sides or more sides of the argument, and and folks will find themselves uh, kind of aligning with one way or the other. But it's you know it's 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 important to think that we can do things that way and, and that there's a, a perfect utopian state. And that's where a lot of uh, libertarians are, are stuck in. And I, I think it's a good thing. I think we're being optimistic. You know, there's this perfect state we want to get to and everything will be perfect when we get there. The road to get there is so important and people just completely uh, forget that that road exists there's not a button, uh, a Rothbard button to hit to say we are in a stateless society uh, uh, where, where you know, the market is controlling. There, there's not a button to do that. And if there was, I don't think I'd press it because folks that I know that do need some help from the state right now, there's not a, a system established to help those folks. I want to I want to see mutual aid uh, network or, or a mutual aid, let's say, shop. And it doesn't need to be a physical location, but let's just for this theoretical argument, say it's a physical location on Main Street in my town. There's a mutual aid shop. 
when you're down on your luck and you have an issue with something, you go there and you say, hey, I need some help. And they have a network of folks that they know that can help you out with many different things, whether it be working on your car and not expecting payment until next year, whether it be uh, giving some food out because you need some food that week or helping pay rent or whatever. This this network of voluntary, you know, people who are, are volunteering their time, their money, their effort to help other folks have that compete with sitting on the phone for two weeks with the unemployment office and trying to figure out exactly how you're going to get, you know, just a little bit to scrape by so you can barely afford the rent and food for your kids. Yeah. The system itself is inefficient basically. And we could, we could put things in place that could show that and actually beat it in the market. As long as we didn't have, you know, the kind of the hands forcing folks in one direction, I think we would see a, a really good opportunity where we would actually see the free market showing that mutually and i think i think we do see this time to time you know aoc this week was talking about how uh, mutual aid networks have helped out texas so much more directly and effectively than the state government or the federal government could yeah exactly and i just want to touch on one idea that you were talking about when you say free markets a lot of people misconstrue free markets to mean capitalism specifically right and as you said in the beginning, talking a little bit about um, centrism um, of sorts, um, if we're talking about markets in a free society, in a stateless society, for example, so many different economic systems are going to form. Like, you, if you're a capitalist, you're going to think it's completely um, immoral for a socialist to force you into socialism. As a socialist, you think it's completely immoral for a capitalist to force you into capitalism. And at the end of the day, you, you can't stop either. You can't stop as long as it's a voluntary interaction. You, the, all of these different systems are going to compete and we'll see at the end of the day, which is the best system. We'll see if it's um, socialism or capitalism or insert the ism here. It could right. be something completely new. It could be a mixed economy. It, it could be so many different things. It could be um, agorism. It could be, you know, working outside of the current market, it, you know, working in the black market. There's so many different things that it could be. And I think a lot of libertarians, they don't even realize this because we're so busy arguing over <laughs> these different, um, this different terminology for different economic systems. And as my friend Archie Flower says all the time, it, it's more important to argue over concepts than words. Now, I, I, for me personally, I argue with him over that too, because yep. I'm always like, this is what the word means. <laughs> that's just how I am. But I understand, you know, that's a logical conclusion to make that a lot of people are talking over each other because they're not using the same set definitions of words right. or concepts. And they're not, some of them aren't entirely wrong either. Because if you take, say, socialism, for example, or capitalism, there's different types of socialism and capitalism there's different schools of thought different theories and we as libertarians our ideas are ultimately just theories they're not proven to work or right. be true because they haven't been tried now we can say well mutual aid works yes but we don't know what's going to happen with with the complete absence of government because it has not happened in modern human history and while I think that's something we should strive towards, I don't think we're going to be there anytime in my lifetime, at least. Right. Definitely not. But we should strive towards a freer society built on voluntary action and 
cooperation. And, and to your point, if you come at a, say you, you're coming at someone that is a, a self-proclaimed, uh, say they're an anarcho-communist even, they, they will agree with you on, on the uh, anarchist half, uh, but they're, they're you know, uh, far left. If you come at them and try to explain um, a world uh, uh, with with free markets and say, um, "Hey, you know, I, I I want you to think of being right beside your your capitalist friend," they're going to turn tune you out immediately. But if you come at it and say, you know, what, like you were saying before, you know, let's not force anyone into an economic system and let's allow folks to freely form, you know, communes if they want, or or small socialist cities, or you know, whatever fits, maybe even geographically, it's going to be different. Or maybe it's, you know, where we've seen, especially uh, in a COVID world, we've seen a lot of people go online. Maybe it's not even uh, has to do with geography or anything like that. But maybe it's a certain uh, um, people that uh, believe in a certain way versus a certain other way. They want to voluntarily participate in those types of economies. They're more than welcome to. And I think even uh, trading in between uh, is is more than welcome. And I think it would be necessary in kind of this future beautiful state that we'd hope to live in. But I think at the end of the day, and I, I, I could say, you know, I know we have a lot of folks uh, probably watching that are interested in this stuff, but if you're talking to the normal voter and you're, you're trying to talk about the nuances between capitalism, the free market markets, communism and social, they're going to tune you out real quick. And I think that's a problem with our messaging that we've been kind of to bring it around full circle to where we started being able to talk on the issues that are super important to people that people care about today and to, to be able to relate it to things that maybe their favorite politician is saying is so important. And I feel like, you know, there there's a lot of leeway that the folks in our party do give to folks like Rand Paul, Thomas Massey. And there are some policies that they put forward that I completely agree with. Sure. But there's a lot of policies that they put forward that I really don't agree with. And it's it's more than, let's say, an AOC or uh, and I'm not saying I agree with AOC 100 percent. There are some things that I think are some of the worst uh, pieces of policy you know put forward that just that they would not do what they're intended to do. But there's two things. The intention is there to do a good thing, potentially. Let's let's say in a in a perfect world. Get out. Right. And for part two, she actually is is one of the only uh, people that are talking about taking down some of these very major issue, uh, uh, you know, alphabet uh, um, uh, organizations like the Department of Homeland Security, like ICE. Like, I mean, she just, uh, you know, tweeted about that the other day about she doesn't think getting rid of the Department of Homeland Security is a radical idea because it's only been around a short period of time. And look at the harm that it's done versus the good that it's done. And I love how libertarians will make the argument like, well, yes, we can get rid of the Department of Education. It hasn't been around that long. But then they'll turn around and say, you can't get rid of ICE when <laughs> ICE has been around for less amounts of time than the Department of Education. And it's just people's own internal biases talking. Because when you have so many libertarians coming from um, the Republican Party or just from um, that type of cultural difference, they're going to have a lot of those preconceived notions like we have way too many libertarians that are fighting in the culture war on yeah. the side of conservatives like why are you doing that right it, 
the, the conservatives, they don't want to help the libertarians. We've seen this time and time again when it comes to um, our candidates and our ballot access and stuff. And it's it's interesting. You see uh, folks on the left too really uh, go after their own candidate. Like they're like I've seen more folks on the left go after a Democratic candidate than I've seen folks on the right go after a Republican candidate. And I that too. I mean, I, I'm trying to be unbiased. I do have a lot of friends. You know, I'll be open. I do have a lot more friends uh, uh, that are on the left than on the right. I do have a fairly mixed uh, group of friends that are kind of all over, especially in the Libertarian Party, all over the Libertarian, you know, as far bottom right uh, as possible and as far bottom left as possible. Um, I think there's this this really, you know, kind of a us first them that's that's been so well established. And I think the Republican Party's probably started this and then the Democrats also uh, took the same kind of approach a little bit later, but it's it's just grown and grown of an us versus them. Red versus blue. Uh, if you don't vote for us, they're going to win and either socialism's going to win or fascism's going to win or whatever. And at the end of the day, there is some good things that our uh, forefathers had kind of put into place. A lot of it's been torn down, but it does stop this complete uh kind of overturn of the government to whatever horribleness uh they expect it to be but i just i i think there's such a um a, a, a just feeling that you have to go behind your red or blue candidate because they're part of your team and there's this whole team mentality that uh completely brainwashes a, a ton of folks and i don't think you know, I'm not saying that that uh, anyone that votes red or blue is is brainwashed. I just think that it's been marketed so incredibly well. And believe me, I you know I wholeheartedly voted for Obama's first term, term thinking he was going to end the wars and stop uh, deporting a ton of folks, and he did the exact opposite. So I fell hard for this. I'm not saying that uh, people uh, shouldn't or or are are dumb for falling everyone fall you know 90 whatever plus percent of uh, voters fall for this but i think there's just other available avenues that we just need to really get to or we're going to completely lose control of this you know outdoing each other left and right and in reality putting forward 80 percent of the same policy that the other one <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely think it's gotten worse over the years, too. Like, I'm fairly young, but before Trump, if somebody said they were a Democrat or Republican, I was like, okay, you know, whatever. But then during the Trump period, the Trump era, I had seen it. I had seen partisanship like I never before did in my entire life. And it's gotten so bad and so toxic that now I can't speak for what it was like 10, 20, 30 years ago. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I I have seen the difference from 2010 to 2016 to now. That much I can remember. And it just sucks because there's so many people who genuinely are stuck in the middle or they might agree with some things from one party, some things from the other. Yeah. But they still end up supporting um, candidates that are willing to do these awful things once they're elected into office. And... A lot of people accuse me of being a, a simp for Democrats, but I voted for more Republicans in my life. But that was really just because it's New York City and everyone is a Democrat. It was kind of just, you know, trying to tug a little bit on the other end of the rope. That's really all that was, especially yep. if there's no libertarian in the race. And even then, I still like to be well informed about the candidate that I'm voting for. I'm not going to vote for somebody just because they're a libertarian. Um, and I do think that 
the lesser of two evils argument does apply. I think that's a, a real argument that a lot of libertarians really just um, discount entirely. I'm not saying that it's good to vote for evil, but I think that always saying that, oh, well, the parties are exactly the same. I don't necessarily think that's true either. Like I said, when it comes to the establishment types, sure. But yep. when it comes to the voter bases, they, I see them as completely different. Like, and again, these are my own biases, but I've had to talk to Republicans about um, why we shouldn't enforce the Bible in the Constitution. I've never had to talk to Democrats on why we should give um, equal rights and equal opportunity to gay people. I've never had to have that discussion with people on the left. I've had to have it with people on the right. I've had to have discussions with people on the right on why women should still have voting rights. So, and a lot of people, they'll say, well, those are, those are fringe scenarios. I have a, I've experienced a lot of fringe scenarios from my own um, anecdotal evidence that makes me feel this type of way. And that's why a lot of people accuse me of being more biased towards the Democrats when really it's maybe just a few of the progressive types that I'm more biased. You were saying they'll give so much leeway for Rand Paul and Thomas Massey, but not people like AOC and the rest of the squad. Right. Because of certain issues. Libertarians are so up in arms about guns and taxes that they'll be perfectly okay with trampling on the rights of um, immigrants, for example. And the Libertarian Party, the platform itself was so much more radical and Libertarians became soft in a way. We got infiltrated with a lot of um, establishment Republican-y types and then this was years ago this was decades ago in the 90s and then the platform got deleted it got yeeted out of existence <laughs> and then that's why we have so many there's so many arguments about well what does a libertarian believe and stand for if you go back and you look at the old platforms and now i know not everyone's a nerd not everyone cares not everyone can do this but i genuinely find it interesting to read the old platforms yeah. and to read the language of the old platforms and how different it is compared to the what libertarians now are espousing. Like I've had libertarians say, well, you can't be a libertarian feminist, that's collectivism. When libertarian feminists existed since before the party even formed. Right. That's just one example. That's just one um, minuscule example of all of the different like, the different types of libertarians and how how confusing it is for people on the outside. Right. When I first came into the party, I got berated by anarchists for being a statist because um, I didn't understand why they wanted to get rid of every single gun law in existence. To me, that was such a culture shock being a, a young Gen Z kid in New York City. And when you got all this stuff going on, like the March for Our Lives and stuff like that, um, that happened a few years back with uh, the Parkland shooting. Yep. Um, Back then, I didn't know shit about guns. I was like, you know, people are dying. This is bad. We got to do something, right? It was a knee-jerk reaction. Right. It was based in compassion. I didn't, like, in my in my mind, it was based in compassion. I didn't think, like, oh, I'm trying to take away people's weapons so they can't defend themselves. Like, that. That that's not something the Democrats ever think. Right. And I was never a Democrat, but... I at least can understand and sympathize because I was in a lot of those circles when I was younger. Yep. 
Yeah, and even even thinking about it, you know, some of the initial gun laws and a, a lot of gun laws since have been put in place to tear guns not away from everyone. They're only really targeting folks who uh, are are low income or are racial minorities. It's you look at every single gun law that has been put into existence since the beginning, and that has been the root of those gun laws. Now, I understand, like you were saying, you know, there's there's a lot of compassion in trying to find a solution for this. And I, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but I, I think hearing, you know, uh, someone someone that maybe has lost a classmate, a friend, a family member to something like this, and you come at them and say, Stop fighting for those gun laws that you're you're uh, uh, being stupid and, and people uh, need to have the right to defend themselves. And we should put a gun in everyone's hand and everything would be fine. Well, in their mind, they just lost a family member, a friend, a classmate, someone they knew to gun uh, violence. Knowing the root cause is a big piece of this. Sure. Messaging to that person who just lost someone is way more important than trying to get do a root cause analysis uh, with them sitting right there trying to, to go. Now, at some point, you can approach that person. You can talk to them about uh, many different things that might have led to that and in ways that we can curb, you know, a, a severe, you know, my wife's a, a public school teacher. I don't want to see gun violence in schools. Every time I see something like that, I call her up half crying because I'm worried about, you know, what's going to happen. There, there needs to be a solution, and I think we can come at it with more ideas, and that's going to get us to a better solution. Berating someone, yelling at someone, saying that they're stupid because they want to do something that, sure, in the end of the day, might not fit with our philosophy of what the right thing, the compassionate thing is to do, but they're not understanding that because they're voting with their emotion right then and there. And maybe their idea will be the idea that ends up being the right idea. And I'm not saying that getting rid of guns is the right idea, but I'm saying that they're going to bring something to that that conversation that you probably hadn't thought of because you haven't been directly impacted by that. So just exactly. having that open mind and, and being a, a, a messenger with an ear more than a messenger with a mouth, I feel like is such an important thing. And that's just that's just one of many issues. Like that's just one example. And even if we use that same example, we're talking about guns. You could be like, well, don't you think that um, minorities should be able to defend themselves? Women should be able to defend themselves from people trying to commit hate crimes against them. And that's one way you could message it to them. A lot of libertarians they're just so worried about being right and having like this. Um, just having this certain narrative when you can say the same exact thing in a different way that'll make it click in their head and they'll go, huh, I didn't think of that because that's what happened for me. Right. That is how I uh, went from being anti-gun to pro-gun in a short amount of time. Just an argument that wasn't just uh, Matu-A, you know? It's exactly. not that hard to just talk to people and act like you actually care about them or don't act, actually care about actually, them. Yeah, exactly. It's empathy. I mean, it all comes down to being able to take in uh, information from a person that they're trying to convey to you what they, their issue is, processing that in a way that is actually trying to empathize with what they are having an issue with and, and applying whatever the libertarian solution might be. And if you don't have it, please don't just say the free market will fix it and nothing else. If you have an answer beyond the free, and you can say the free market will fix it, and this is why, sure. But please don't just say that. Say, I will find out from you. I will get you contacted with folks who I, and I think this is something that 
um, online, I would love to see folks do a better job with. I don't have the answer for this. I am not, a, uh, let's say, an immigration, an open borders uh, uh, advocate as as much as my friend uh, Brianna is. I will I will get you connected uh, with her. You will be able to say, you know, talk for uh, two hours about this. And you know Please that's <laughs> that's that's what I think folks just need to do is just be able to send folks to. You know, I'm not perfect on uh, how how we can you know reduce the cost of healthcare with a libertarian solution. So I had Spike Cohen on the show to talk about you know how we could do it with, the, and he he is a great uh, messenger of that piece of you know the the thing. I think we just we need to be able to reach out to our networks and, and uh, do more of that kind of like specialized messaging as well, um, because. Being an expert on everything is damn near impossible, especially yeah, with how many problems and issues are out. And yeah, I, I definitely, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And really just, I, I'm kidding. If you ever got to throw me in a conversation, you can do it. But I'm just, I, and there's some people that are not, are not always the best person to have those conversations yep. either. And like, for me, when people say, hey, can you talk to these Republicans? I'm like, no, like, do you want me to start a fight? No, but then there are people that can definitely do that. I'll be yes. straight up and be honest about what people I can talk to and what issues I can talk about. And we got too many libertarians that are trying to spearhead in every single direction with everything. And it's like, no, please, please stop. You're, you're not helping the party image by doing this. You're making people run away even faster because we already yeah. have so many misconceptions about libertarians. I always got to explain to people, no, I don't hate the poor. I don't want the disabled to die every other day. Yep. So, yeah. That's the reality of it. When you're talking to people outside the party, outside of our little bubble, it doesn't like in the real world, it's not the same. And even when we're talking about politics in the real world, not everyone is as well informed. Most Republicans and Democrats are not very well informed about every single issue or about these um, these vague economic policies and stuff like that. They genuinely don't know. They don't care. Right. Well, pretty much about a couple of issues, what they see on the news, et cetera, et cetera. And that's it. And libertarians really have to actually understand that and digest that and then be able to direct their messaging to apply in real world scenarios because we all we all want to be idealistic and we want right. to talk about the society that we want to have but we have to talk about how to get there so we can have that society right and like you said i mean and it, it is absolutely nothing i wish that i uh, didn't, you know, some days I, I love that I do the show. I love that I'm into politics and I love that I can have these conversations with folks that are, are very into politics as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, there are folks that, that don't care as much. They, they have a million things that they're trying to do with their, uh, their life. They're trying to do things, um, outside of the political sphere that might even be doing, uh, different things that might help people more running mutual aid networks or something like that. And at the end of the day, you have to make sure you can, not just, you know, I, I don't want to say boil down the ideology to a 15 second conversation, but boil down what that person's going to care about to that quick elevator conversation and being able to do so in a way that's in a positive direction, you know, and, and be able to, and like you said, you know, being able to uh, uh, talk to, and it's funny, I, I know people in the LP call it like normies versus libertarian because 
there's a lot of people that don't uh, fall into this anarcho, you know, it's, they're typically uh, the rest of society, let's say. And it's, it's so important. Like that's 99% of voter 90, you know, 98, 96, 97, depending on which uh, election year you look at, that's most voters. So if we don't have conversations with those folks, even outside of uh, um, our libertarian bubble, we're not going to grow the party. We're not going to continue to uh, to to help uh, folks see that this might be the best way uh, to the next chapter of of the United States, at least, or maybe even you know whatever country they're from. Um, I know folks in Canada and other folks in um, who are looking at libertarianism as well. I think there's there's got to be messengers, like you said, that kind of. And I love this point uh, that everyone's not the best messenger on for every individual spot. Like you, you really need to pick an audience and, and really focus there. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the things I'm trying to do here. And this is a very libertarian centric conversation next week. I have, uh, uh Christine Olivo, uh, who, uh, ran as a Democrat and I think is running as an independent down in, uh, Florida. Um, you know, she's going to come on and we're going to talk about ways that we align because, progressive Dems and libertarians have a large chunk of things that we do agree with. And I, there, I wouldn't be able to do the same thing. Like I've tried and I've, I've looked at uh, folks on the right and tried to align myself a little bit more. And I just don't, I'm not as passionate and I'm not as good of a messenger on those pieces. You know um, I can talk limited government and maybe some gun rights stuff, but other than that, I I don't really talk in depth with a lot of those other uh, other pieces and that's that's good. I mean, I think that's what we need. I think we need folks that understand who they need to talk to and 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 talk to those folks. And we need folks that can talk to Republicans, you know, just as well as we need folks that can talk to Democrats. Um, I don't want to discount that just because I talk a certain way. Yeah, the only problem is we just have we have a lot of one and not enough of the other. We have yes. a, like we really don't have a lot of people who can actually message the Democrats in the party. And then whenever we have um, the party trying to message the Democrats, they're like, well, you're not a real libertarian. Whee! And every time we start making a little bit of progress there, it's the libertarians that like tear down the progress again. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's nuance too. Like you were saying, like the parties to be, you know, talking about them as, as these, uh, the duopoly and these two monoliths, I guess, or I don't know how you'd say that. But anyways, uh, they're not just the Democrat. You know, the folks left of center or left of Trump, let's say, are not all Democrats. Some of them are are uh, Dem Sox. Some of them are socialist, self-proclaimed communists, and they don't believe in the Democratic Party. They believe they're all capitalists and they hate them. You know, I, I think there's there's got to be a lot more nuance that people understand as well with both talking to the left and the right and understanding, you know, where we align with folks and where we really need to kind of dig in our heels and, and go forward uh, um, a little bit more with some folks and then, you know, kind of back off and, and, and have a soft touch with others. Yeah, absolutely. And that's at least personally, that's one thing I try to do. I try to pick a target audience and message to that audience. And that's what more of us just have to start doing. And we have to start actually getting, we have to start doing outreach instead of in reach. Exactly. <laughs> That's a, that's a, one of the best ways to say it. So we're, uh, you know, we, we've blown past uh, a lot of the time stuff, which I knew we do because I knew you and I would just, we agree on a lot of things in messaging and, and even kind of political ideology. We're, we're very similar. Uh, and I think we, I think 
you know, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is I think you do a really, really, really good job uh, messaging with a lot of the folks on the left. I see you on social media talking to folks and um, the folks that interact with you on those things are, you know, not typically the folks I see interacting with uh, more, um, uh, you know, right leaning uh, uh, libertarians or anarcho capitalists. And yeah. you you still talk to those folks as well. And you're able to talk to kind of both. And I, I, I see that, you know, I actually see uh, Hody in the comments. I see Hody doing that a lot. Uh, I try and do that as much as possible as well. And I think um, it's great that we can kind of talk about this and kind of dive deep on a, on a few different things. And I see some folks in the comments that uh, did say that this was kind of enlightening to get a, a kind of a high level view on some of the libertarian beliefs and how it's just much more diverse than most people think of uh, when they hear about libertarianism in the news and stuff. So this was wonderful. I want you to get, you know, kind of your, your, whatever you want to uh, talk about kind of at the end. Uh, I want to give you some time to be able to talk about and, uh, and then we'll wrap up. You can't do that. You can't get me free, right? And I don't know what to talk about. I'll talk about anything. Got to pick a topic. Come on. You want to, um, I forgot to mention one thing earlier when we were talking about different kinds of economic systems in an anarchist society. I think that there's a word for that. I think it's pan anarchism. Not sure, but okay. I don't want to actually talk about that. I just wanted to throw that out there in case anyone was interested in knowing that. But yeah, I think uh, let's let's go with um, kind of your last uh, piece about messaging, and then maybe uh, talk a little bit about. Actually, you can talk about Stacy's uh, campaign if you want. Stacy's actually going to be on. Uh, the show, I think in about a month uh, or so, so. Okay, well, so Stacy's already getting the, you're not a real libertarian remarks all the time because Stacy is a little bit more left-leaning than some, and she's a pragmatic libertarian. She's definitely not nearly as radical as I am, and that's perfectly okay, right? Yep. If we're in New York City, we need a messenger that can talk to the majority of the city, right? Um, I've had conversations with people here that are like, yeah, we got to run somebody against AOC. And I'm like, no, do you want to kill what's left of the party here? Right. Like people, I, like to me, the, when I talk to people in New York city, there's pretty much a consensus. If you're in political spaces, you're a leftist or you're a progressive Democrat, right? Of course, not everyone in New York city is a leftist or progressive Democrat. Most right. New Yorkers don't vote. Right. But the people who are most active in politics, the people who are at the protests and stuff, they're all progressives. Yep. Most of the time, from what I've seen, the people I've spoken to. And then like I was out um, at a few Black Lives Matter protests in the city and none of them were none of them were Marxists. Everyone, all of the libertarians want to say, oh, well, you're marching with Marxists? Like, what, these people don't even know what a Marxist is. Exactly. I don't, I don't even mean, like, just the libertarians. I mean, even the progressives don't even know what a Marxist is. A lot right. of people don't care. They're there for that one particular issue. And when we have people marching en masse against government oppression, against state-sponsored violence, the libertarians should capitalize on that and be yeah. like, yes, we support you on this issue. Yes. And yeah. then get in there. Spike did a great job at that. And we need more of that. I've seen a lot of people come into the party and into the movement from the Jones Spike campaign. And it's a different type of libertarian. Like, if you talk to people who were more inspired by, say, Ron Paul or Gary Johnson or Joe Jorgensen, they're different types of people. 
Yep. And it just really goes to show how different um, messaging styles will attract different types of people. And we really have to be more mindful of that because we can't keep constantly trying the same thing over and over and over again. And that's one reason why um, I'm happy to be working on Stacy's campaign because she's not going to throw out the, the you're not a real libertarian argument at everybody. That's never going to happen with her. Right. You know, she's all about um, a law of compassion, inspiring people. And same for Ashley Shade, same for a lot of people in the yep. party. And um, Dave Jones, like seeing all of these people, especially from Team Supreme, I got my pin here. Yeah, I see that, yeah. Especially from Team Supreme, just talking about love and compassion and all of these different things that were lacking from the party prior. Like we are changing the culture in the Libertarian Party and in the Libertarian movement. Right. And then we have organizations like People for Liberty that are doing some great things and that are talking about topics that a lot of libertarians kind of just gloss over. And I'm happy to see that. We got organizations like Outright that I'm working with to try to, you know, make the party and make the movement friendlier to GSM people, to the LGBTQ community. And it's not just about what happens inside the party. It ultimately is about what happens in the broader movement. And the party holds the narrative for the libertarian movement. A lot of people don't want to accept that. But a lot of libertarians, even if they're not in the party, they still pay attention to the party. Even a lot of Democrats and Republicans, they still pay attention to other parties. They want Some people want to know what's going on. They want to know what the Greens are doing or what the, the Constitution Party is doing, just to know, or what the Movement for People's Party is doing, just yep. to see what's going on in politics. And I think now more than ever, we have so many opportunities to pull from demographics in the left because a lot of them are looking for that third option and yes. we can present them with that third option. It's here, the infrastructure is here, it's being built. All we need to do is we have to find the words, the right words to communicate with them and then we got it. And yeah. not everyone is gonna agree, not everyone is going to agree with libertarian values and that's fine, but you might have those people who are maybe, you know, independents, they're, you know, they're on the fringe and they'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for this one person that's a libertarian. And, you know, that's perfectly cool, too. It's perfectly cool to just be a voter and to just vote based on principle and not party. That's just something that helps us get out of partisanship. Right. And it, it doesn't help us to just not be a Democrat or Republican. That's not a winning argument for why our candidate is the best candidate. Right. We have to say, well, our candidate is the best candidate because they're going to do this, this and this. And we got to be specific. We got to be on point. We got to be detailed because at the end of the day, Libertarian Party is um, handicapped when it comes to, you know, the political world. You can have a Democrat or Republican. They can go and they could say, yeah, I'm going to make the community better and then have just nothing else. It's <laughs> completely vague. And they still get voted in. Right. That's the power of the two party system. If we want to beat that, we have to we have to play the game. We have to go above and beyond we have to recruit people we have to grow the movement and then we have to get stuff done even yeah. if it's not 
um, in internal politics, even if it's just showing up to protest in your community, in your neighborhood, or just mutual aid, just doing stuff, then people are going to realize that, hey, maybe not all libertarians are bad people. Maybe not all of them are selfish or whatever conception they have of libertarians. Even if you look at Republicans, they think that uh, libertarians are, you know, super far left liberals or whatever sometimes, which is really weird. But yeah. No, and it's so true. I think I think you know refining that message in coalitions with other third parties. I think there you know there's a lot of things that we can do to help uh, kind of uh, overturn or or become a presence, I guess, uh, with uh, within this two party system that's been so established and laws have been written to help protect and everything. Um, I think there's a lot that we can do, and being present, like you said, I mean that's the biggest thing I want. Uh, folks to really take from this is if you're in even if you're in you know other third party movements and stuff be present in your community uh don't blast everyone and 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 scream uh taxation is theft in everyone's face uh the second you get there go and 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 do the work and if they happen to start talking with you maybe work libertarianism in the conversation or green you know your green party or dsa or whatever but but do so um, uh, after the fact and, and be present doing the good things in the community so that folks see, oh, there are other uh, options out there. Education is by far the biggest hurdle. And, and if we can be present in our communities and showing that that there are other options out there um, and you're just a voter, you're not a politician lying to them and telling them what they want to hear. And you're just a person who votes this way because you feel passionately about it. And I don't want to miss that message uh, in in what you had said. I think that's that's super super important. So yeah, and doing good things in your community, it shouldn't have to be political. Hundred percent. No cap. And that's a good. That's a nice, uh, beautiful, perfect kind of note to uh, end on. So I I thank you so much. Uh, this was great. I know uh, mm-hmm. we went a little long here, but I we had a ton of uh, good conversation. I think there's a lot of folks uh, in the chat that seem to uh, appreciate what they've learned and, and, you know, contributing a little bit. I, I worked in some of the conversation, even if I didn't specifically call it out. So thank you folks for uh, being there in the chat and talking about it. Um, this is really great. I really, really appreciate you coming on, Brianna. I don't think this is the last time uh, for you on both political podcast, uh, but no, thank you so much. And I appreciate it. No, no, thank you for having me on. And thanks to everyone that's watching and stuff. And just, I, you know, I appreciate it. I know Derek appreciates it and keep Keep doing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. So yeah, that was uh, Brianna Coyle. Um, I think uh, there was a lot of uh, great stuff that that people can pull from there. Uh, she has a lot of um, really good uh, thoughts on messaging that I think people should be able to bring forward and and, and uh, kind of use in their own communities and stuff. And work small. Just like I said, being present, doing the right thing. Like Brianna said uh, right at the end. Uh, doing things for your community doesn't have to be political. Uh, it can just be a good thing to do and you can, you know, be there uh, as yourself. Uh, and if, if it happens to come up, talk about it and, and folks will be uh, better informed, I guess, in the future. So uh, thank you so much, Brianna. That was uh, wonderful. Um, I want to say next week uh, we do have, like I said, uh, uh, Christine um, Olivo, I think is how you say her last name. Uh, so she is a candidate for Congress in Florida's District 24. Um, she is, I believe she ran kind of as a progressive Dem. She was a part of the, um, Bernie campaign in Florida. Uh, I don't know. I believe she was running as an independent, but I don't want to, uh, commit to that hundred percent. 
Um, but yes, I, 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 she's going to be great to have on. She does, um, a bunch of mutual aid stuff, uh, in her community on her own. And she's also, uh, running for Congress. So, you know, I'd love to hear a lot more about her platform. We're going to talk to her next week on the uh, post-political podcast. I hope you all enjoyed tonight and have a wonderful, uh, evening. Thank you.